You are listening to a podcast from Vineyard Church of Augusta. For more information, visit vineyardaugusta.org. Good morning. What a special act to follow. That's beautiful. I love that. So as Reese mentioned, my name is Angela Otero, and I get the privilege of being a pastor here at Vineyard Church of Discipleship and Spiritual Formation. And I also get the privilege today of speaking to you. We are in a sermon series called No Other Gospel, and this is week four of this. And this is a series that we're going through the book of Galatians, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and talking about it. And in the previous weeks, Pastors Reese and Roger have done a really great job with giving us some context and some reason behind this letter and even some of the theology that Paul has begun to unpack in this. And so if you missed those, um, I'm not going to try to summarize everything that they said, but we have a podcast, and I would recommend that you take the opportunity to go back and to hear those. I'm also going to show a video clip. It's a clip from a video that Pastor Reese keeps asking us to go watch, and it's really good. And I kept trying to summarize Galatians really quickly while I was writing this so that um, we would kind of contextualize it, and it would take me eight minutes every time. So this video is four minutes, so I think it's worth the watch, at least the portion that that we're going to show. But today we're going to be focusing on chapter 2, verses 11 through 21, and we're going to be talking about the law the gospel, the problem then, and a problem now. So let's pray. Spirit of God, we welcome you this morning once again. Whether we come today anxious or calm, refreshed or tired, soul sick or soul well, we ask you to meet us here now. May this church thing not be an empty ritual that we are fulfilling, but a relationship that we're cultivating, a relationship that we're cultivating with you and your church this morning. We open our hearts to you. We open our minds to you. We surrender all of our strengths to you. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always pleasing to you, Lord. Amen. So let's read Galatians 2, 11. Paul goes on to write. He said, but when Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face. For what he did was very wrong. When we first arrived, he ate with the Gentile believers who were not circumcised. But afterward, when some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. And as a result, other Jewish believers followed Peter's hypocrisy, and even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Now, Roger gave all these compliments to Peter and Barnabas and James last week, and here they are, caught up in this. And when I saw they were not following the truth of the gospel message, I said to Peter in front of the others, since you, a Jew by birth, have discarded the Jewish laws and are living like a Gentile, 
Why are you now trying to make these Gentiles follow Jewish traditions? You and I are Jews by birth, not sinners like the Gentiles. Yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we've obeyed the law. For no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. But suppose we seek to be made right with God through faith in Christ, and then we are found guilty because we've abandoned the law. Would that mean that Christ has led us into sin? Absolutely not. Rather, I am a sinner if I rebuild the old system of the law I have already tore down. For when I tried to keep the law, it condemned me. So I died to the law. I stopped trying to meet all its requirements so that I might live for God. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless, for if, I, for if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die. So let's take a look at this video that the Bible Project has put together. Paul's letter to the Galatians. It was written to a number of churches in the region of Galatia where Paul had traveled on one of his missionary journeys. You can read the stories in the book of Acts. He wrote this important letter from a place of deep passion and frustration. Here's the backstory. Christianity began as a Jewish messianic movement in Jerusalem, but its message was for all humanity, and so it quickly spread beyond Israel. By Paul's time as a missionary, there were as many non-Jews as there were Jewish people in the Jesus movement, and this sparked a huge debate that we know about from the book of Acts chapter 15. Historically, the covenant people of God were focused in one ethnic group, Israel, and they were set apart by the practices commanded in the Torah, like circumcision of males, eating kosher, observing the Sabbath. And there were many Jewish Christians who believed that for all of these non-Jews to truly become a part of God's family, they needed to obey the laws of the Torah. And so some of these Jewish Christians ended up coming to the Galatian churches. They were undermining Paul and demanding circumcision of all these male non-Jewish Christians. And so many of them were. And when Paul found out, he was brokenhearted and angry. And this letter is the result. He first challenges the Galatians with his summary of the gospel message about the crucified Messiah. He then argues that this gospel is what creates the new multi-ethnic family of Jesus and Abraham. And then he shows how this gospel is what truly transforms people by the presence and power of the Spirit. He opens by expressing his bewilderment that the Galatians have embraced a different gospel. It's the one promoted by these Christians who badmouth Paul and demand circumcision. So Paul first defends the authenticity of his message and authority as an apostle. He was commissioned by the risen Jesus himself to go to the non-Jewish world. Remember the story from the book of Acts. Paul says it was only later that he went to Jerusalem to consult the other apostles like Peter or James. And when he told them he wasn't requiring non-Jewish Christians to be circumcised or eat kosher, they were in full support. But this tension ran deeper. 
Peter had come to Antioch to visit and see all of these non-Jewish Christians, and he was eating and mingling with them. But when some of this Jerusalem opposition group showed up in Antioch, Peter caved under their pressure. He stopped eating with these uncircumcised Christians, and he was avoiding them. And so Paul confronted and accused Peter of hypocrisy, of not staying true to the gospel. For Paul, demanding these new Christians to become circumcised and Torah observant, it's wrong-headed for all kinds of reasons. First of all, because it's a betrayal of the gospel, or in his words, people are not justified by the works of the Torah, but rather by the faith of Jesus the Messiah, and we have faith in the Messiah Jesus. To be justified, or literally to be declared righteous, it's a rich Old Testament term for Paul. It's when God declares that someone is in a right relationship with him. They're forgiven, they're given a place in God's family, and they are being transformed by God's grace. And it's Paul's conviction that no one can be justified by observing the commands of the Torah, but only by the faith of Jesus. This is a dense phrase, and it could refer to Jesus's own faithfulness in living and dying on our behalf, or it could refer to our own trust and devotion to Jesus. Either way, the point is clear. People are justified only through trusting in what God did for them through Jesus, not by what they do for themselves. At the heart of Paul's gospel is this claim, that when people trust in the Messiah Jesus, what's true of him becomes true of them. His life, death, and resurrection become theirs. Or in his words, I've been crucified with the Messiah, and it's not I who come back to life, it's the Messiah living in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so the reason anyone can say that they are right with God or belong to Jesus' covenant family, it's not because they obeyed the laws of the Torah. It's only because of what Jesus did for them that they could never do for themselves. It's only what Jesus did for them that they could never do for themselves. So let's talk about the law, the gospel, the problem then and the problem now. So the law, the Old Testament, is all about how, if, if I were to sum it up in less than eight minutes, it's all about how God made the world and humanity in it, and it was perfection. Chef's kiss, perfection. It was full of goodness, full of life, and then humans. In our free will, we decide to break up with God. And this breakup, that's the beginning of all suffering. That's the beginning of all pain. And that's the beginning of death. Because God is the source of life. So what did he do? God starts reaching out to humans. He starts with, with guys like Noah and Abraham, again with Moses, and he keeps saying, I, I will care for you, and I will make this right. But this is a two-sided relationship, and there are some best practices that can help you, help you stop hurting yourselves, help you stop hurting others. And so we're going to write this down first five books of what we call the Bible, Hebrew scripture, they call the Torah. 
It was written and intended to separate God's people from the rest of the world, teaching them a better way to be human so that we could look and say, look, it's working. There's a better way to be human. So the Hebrew people, the Jews, they nicknamed this the law. And fast forward hundreds and hundreds of years and lots of story and lots of history to the Roman Empire. And God's people, the Jews, are mostly following the law, but they've misinterpreted it. They've contorted it into something that is greatly burdensome to God's people. And they were so separated in fact, from others, that they were downright racist. Remember all the stories about the Samaritans? It had stopped being, the law had stopped being about relationship with God and creation and had become heavy religion and ritual. That's the bad news. Now, this is where our New Testament starts. Gospel, the word gospel means good news. The video kept referring to gospel, and the scripture keeps referring to gospel. It simply means the good news. And the good news that Paul is talking about is that Jesus came. And when he came, he said, I'm the new arrangement. I'm the new agreement. Paul puts it this way, yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with Christ. Jesus came to earth claiming, I'm this new arrangement that God is making to reverse all the brokenness that your free will has produced And now it's not just for the Jews. Now it's for all people through all time. And you don't need the old law anymore. And you don't need old sacrifices because Jesus says, I am the fulfillment of that law and what it was intended to be. So anyone who follows me now and my ways, they lead straight into justification, right relationship with God. Other translations, I didn't pick one, but other translations use this word justified, justified, justified. Don't get stuck on that word. We don't use it in our common vernacular much anymore, but it just means being made right with God. This is a little sidebar, but I'd be remiss if I didn't say. So if you're wondering, well, then how do I follow Jesus's way? What does that even look like? It's simple. It's just start by telling him, I want to follow your way, but I'm going to need some help doing it. And then you start to learn. You start to learn from Jesus' teachings. They're easy to find. They are the first four books of the New Testament, the Gospels, we call them. And then you start asking him as you're reading those, Jesus, what does it look like What does it look like for me to follow your way here and now, thousands of years after you taught it? And his spirit will begin to speak to you about this. And you'll just start to know how it sounds and how it feels to follow him. 
So the problem then, the video summarizes it really well. The Galatian churches are having trouble because the Jewish Christians are having a hard time letting go of the law and the old covenant. And so Simon Peter, also known as Cephas, had started siding with the Jews. And Paul was totally calling him out on that, pretty publicly, actually. And then all the Jews in Galatia were starting to do the same. So that's the problem that sparked Paul's letter. We see in this letter this constant temptation to believe in something other than God to save us. I believe in my choices. So I'm going to break up with God because I think I can do it. Or I'm going to believe in the law. The Torah will save me. Maybe God plus the Torah. That'll save me, right? This constant human temptation then, not just to do that, but then to build add-ons. Well, let's decide what this means and let's add some things on. How about we do this and this and this, and then we'll be okay. We'll be safe. We'll be saved. How about you follow God and Jesus and get circumcised just in case? And then this constant human temptation, the Galatians are doing it, to other people. What is othering? It's saying, I'm like this and you're like this, so you stay over there and you be other than me. You can't eat with us until you look like us and act like us. So what relevance does a 2,000-year-old one-sided letter from somebody who's been dead a really long time have to do with our lives today? How could it possibly be relevant? How could he possibly understand what we go through now because it's so different? The reason I keep going back to Scripture is because God is eternal, and he is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And scripture, we believe that scripture is always telling us about the nature of God. If you want to know the arc of the whole entire Bible, it's revealing to us the nature of God And so when we read it, and we slow down and we ask the question, what is this revealing to me about the nature of God? We get to know God better. So what is this passage? Maybe it's in the text, maybe it's in the subtext, but what does the passage reveal to you about the nature of God? So the problem now, and the other reason that I think reading a 2,000-year-old letter is worthwhile, is that after all these years, believers are still getting into the same stupid trouble. Let me tell you a piece of my own painful story. 
I really debated about whether or not to share it, but I'm going to. In um, 2016, my world turned on its axis. I was um, a pastor at a different church, and um, we had just this beautiful, amazing, wonderful group of people that we call church. And we had this wonderful woman in our church. She was amazing and intelligent and faithful and godly. She was a friend. I counted her as a friend. And she decided to leave our church after the election cycle because she said, and I quote, I cannot sit in a pew next to someone who voted for Trump. And I cannot teach in kids' church if he's my partner. And then she went on to say, she was trying to explain, and I was trying to understand, and probably doing a very bad job of listening, but I I was trying to understand. She said, I can't help thinking, I hate Angela. No, no, I hate Trump. No, I I hate Angela. No, no, I hate Trump. (laughs) Because I had voted third party that year, so I helped Trump win. And I tell you this, not to upset you or rile you up, not for me, not for her, but for you. Because notice, notice what my story did in your heart as you heard it. Did you find yourself siding with her? Did you find yourself siding against her? Are you turning against me just a little bit because now you know how I voted? Are you remembering, is that triggering for you a story of something that happened to you or a conversation that you've had over the last few years and the last few political cycles? I find myself dreading the year ahead. That's what I notice in me. Because believers keep letting things get between us. I'm not saying she was right or she was wrong. I'm not saying I was right or I was wrong. Because the real tragedy here is not who anyone voted for or that my friend and church member broke up with me. It's that her faith in Jesus and her political party had fused together. And she couldn't see how someone could love Jesus and vote for Trump. She could not. And now that was a different state. And in Georgia, the political majority is on the other foot. The shoe is on the other foot. And I encounter people here all the time who can't see the difference between Jesus' way and conservative politics. 
There are differences, differences between Jesus' way and our politics. Where are your political perspectives so intertwined with your soul that you can't tell the difference between Jesus' way and your political ideals? Where is that damaging relationships? Maybe somewhere we're still like 2,000-year-old Galatians. Again, we experience this human temptation to believe in something other than God to save us. Jesus, plus my government, will save us. My government. If you let it go my way, my government will save us, plus Jesus. Jesus plus nothing will save us. And there's this constant human temptation. We're still going through it to build add-ons to our faith. You had better vote Republican. You had better vote Democrat to be a good Christian. Jesus said, if your right wing, I mean, your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Or left wing, whichever one is causing you to sin, cut it off. This constant human temptation to other people. I can't sit in a pew next to you because I know who you voted for. I can't serve in church with this person because I know how they feel about X, Y, Z. Jesus said, I've come to tear down the dividing wall. So if the way that we're following Jesus is building dividing walls, then the way that we're following Jesus is wrong. He also said, stop fixating on the splinter in your sister's eye because you got a log in yours. Focus on your log. So to answer my question, from a minute ago, what does this passage tell you about the nature of God? What I see in that passage is a God who has been reaching out to humanity since the beginning of time. And no matter how wayward we get, how mean we get, how close-minded or judgmental we get, he keeps making a way for us to find our way back to him. And finally, he goes, fine, I'm just going to, I'm going to leave the comforts of heaven. I'm going to get into an earthly body. I'm going to show the way back to good relationship with God, knowing that he would endure torture and death and resurrection to prove his love for us. But he did it. He crossed the heavenly, earthly aisle to be with us. Paul said, so I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God. For if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there is no need for Christ. It's our othering 
of others that runs contrary to the gospel. Not having a different opinion. I think different opinions are beautiful. I think that they create uh, a, a greater and more nuanced way of being human. And I think that the thing in us that gets, ooh, I gotta defend my side, you know, or what? Or the world will end? No, like that's not what Jesus promised. Love listens. Love listens. Then love asks follow-up questions. And love goes, oh, I hear you, okay. Because we're seeking to understand the other person, not to isolate and other the other person. And the quickest way to do that is to stop listening and start thinking of our rebuttals. But true listening breaks down the dividing walls. Jesus is our ultimate model in this. You notice in the Gospels, he approaches people, people who are very different from him, and he starts with questions. What is it that you need? What are you asking for? And then he listens, and people feel seen, and people feel heard, and people feel closer to him. The Lord is calling us to unity in this year ahead. The Lord is calling us to unity, not uniformity. And lastly, it's our awareness in our own need. It's an awareness of our own need for Jesus that makes us savable. Not my stuff, not my bank account. A lot of times we get our identities mixed up in um, who you say that I am, what I have, and what I do. And Jesus says, those things won't save you. Not a great car, not a great reputation, not the government. Jesus' good ways lead to abundant life. Jesus' good ways. And let me invite you. Let me invite you to reflect. I said the word circumcision. I said the word politics. I said Republican, conservative, liberal, Democrat. And ooh, those are like the like, worst things you can say from stage. <laughs> and people used to come up after political cycles and go, I'm so glad that you're not touching politics from the stage. And I'd be like, yeah, yeah, I'm, glad. I'm such a peacemaker. <laughs> um, but man, if we're not talking about it, then we're either just ignoring it and trying to just stay in our safe little corners, which is a dividing wall, or we're... Um, like just allowing the rest of the world to be loud and mean. But we have a different way and we have a better way and Jesus has showed us that way. And if all of the people who really loved and followed Jesus in the United States were to take this political cycle and show the world how to do differently, it would go differently. And I'm not talking about the outcome of who wins and who doesn't. I'm talking about the outcome of all the relationships that 
may or may not get damaged this year. So notice in your heart what that did. That's where God wants to meet you today. You for yourself. Maybe there's been a time when someone has said or done something to you that made you feel other. Whether it's your um, socioeconomic background, your race, your political viewpoints. Those are painful and those are hard. But God wants to meet us in that pain so that he can heal us and so that we can do better for others. So would you stand with me?